Dakota Student Podcast. I'm your host, Mason Dunleavy, and I'm joined today by Student Body President Matthew Turnis and Student Body Vice President Kaylin Reedy. How are you guys? Good. Thanks for having us on today, Mason. Yeah, no yeah thank you very much. Thank you for coming on. So a uh, little, little chilly out in Grand Forks this past, uh, I don't know, week or so. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, it's 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 been quite the temperature change. I so I I left for the weekend. I went to a cabin out on Leech Lake in Minnesota, Walker, Minnesota, um, and I left probably what was it, sixty, seventy degree weather, and came back to forty, fifty degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I got back in shorts, and I quickly threw on sweats. That was that's probably the fastest I've done a I've done an outfit change in quite some time. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I've uh, been out of sweats and sweatshirt for a bit now, so I don't really mind it. Not gonna lie. Right, it's always it's always fun to be comfortable, especially uh, you know with with your online or hybrid classes. Uh, I, I take a lot of my classes from when I'm not in the office. I'm I'm in my bed, so being able to just lounge and and get work done is always nice. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So uh, just gonna go over some breaking news i guess not really breaking just major headline news um the wildfires have you guys looked into that yeah i've seen the pictures that's for sure oh it's crazy stuff crazy stuff bright red skies yeah it seems like that's happening i don't know far too often you know we see those videos of people literally driving through like infernos you know it's just fire so it's, Mm -hmm. it's crazy stuff no, for sure. Um, it's, it's, it's unfortunate to see a lot of, you know, landscape and, and, and property kind of, kind of get put through that. So, uh, you know, uh, thoughts and thoughts and prayers out to anybody being affected by those right now. No, for sure. So, um, you know, with all these wildfires, do you guys think it's human error or do you guys think it's uh, some climate change, you know, kind of causing that or, making it worse what are you guys what are your guys thoughts kaylin you want to you want to take the first stab at it or you want me to sorry yeah i can chat i mean i admit i don't have an educated opinion on the topic right now um Mm -hmm. i know that i followed some of the wildfires that were going on uh back with australia and some of the others oh yeah the big Um, one earlier mm mm-hmm it for now, yeah, I, I can't say as to what the cause. I, I'm far from an expert on the topic, but yeah, thoughts and prayers, no thoughts doubt. Prayers. It doesn't look great at all. So you know, I'm kind of like Kaylin. I'm I'm not an expert in the subject and 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 whatnot, but you know, just from a a quick search on this, you know. Some of the fires, Mason, to your question of is it is it human error? Is it uh, climate change? You know, I I think some of it definitely comes into comes into human error. You know, there's there are there aren't necessarily the best efforts to keep landscapes maintained that that provides the opportunity for fires to spread. Um, you know, I've got I'm looking at an article online right now from from CNN. The the title call it. Uh, the title is a pyrotechnic device at a gender reveal party sparked one of the California wildfires. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it, you know, part of it, you know, can definitely be put on human error. Uh, 
that's not to say that you know the environment changes we see you know record-breaking years of of increased temperature and and i believe there's some there was a, a cell of some pretty intense storms that went through the california area um that that also sparked some of the fires just because of the 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 mass amount of of, of lightning strikes that occurred so um you know as the environment changes uh you know what can we do to to as a as a nation i guess to to work on that is is going to be something that i think we'll kind of start to see not i don't want to get too political on on the podcast here but i'm sure we'll start to see conversations on a national level here with you know with an election coming up here and what are we now about two months away mm-hmm. um i'm sure we'll start seeing that kind of that that narrative pop up more and more yeah definitely definitely uh there's a great little i don't know i'd say it's a little documentary it's about 40 minutes it's on netflix it's called campfire and that's uh it's about like the i think it's the p and g like power lines were the ones that caused that fire some faulty power line but yeah a gender reveal party i saw something about that as well that's that's kind of crazy people don't really think that could start that big of a fire but it really can when it's just that dry yeah and and it's kind of it's interesting to think about because when I think of, you know, gender reveal parties, I, my first thought jumps back to Kirk Cousins' gender reveal uh, video that came out, what was that, probably a year or two ago, shortly after he signed with the Vikings. Um, and it's him throwing a football at a box that just kind of bursts with the, with the colored powder. So I've never really thought about, you know, what kind of electronics or pyrotechnics go into some gender reveal parties. And it just kind of shows you how how quickly things can um, kind of kind of go up with that, you know? Mm-hmm. Definitely. So some more news. Uh, the U.S. is ready to ban imports on Chinese cotton and tomato from, I'm sorry if I mispronounced this, China's Xinjiang province. What are your guys' thoughts on that? I know we've had a lot of talks, uh, Trump mostly. I don't know how much you guys follow on this. You know, we want to stop. A lot of Chinese imports. I think Japan's already making the first steps to doing so, and it looks like we are now. Just what are your guys' thoughts on that? Yeah. So just just to make sure, this this is the you said it's on cotton exports, or is this yep. cotton and okay. tomato? Cotton and tomato. So, um, you know, first thought with with cotton, there's you know how does that affect various industries? Uh, such as apparel, mm-hmm. um, you know, are we going to start to see, you know, an economic impact on that? And with, with tomatoes too, you know, produce farmers, um, they've kind of been, they've been, they've been put through a lot in the last few months, I'd say, um, you know, with, with COVID and, and everything that's happened there, um, you know, I, I don't, I, I'm not an expert on, on foreign trade and, and, uh, imports experts. I'm, I'm a history major at best. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I can't speak to what the exact economic impact of, of what, um, you know, a, a ban on, on cotton, um, what, or, or tomatoes, what that might look like. Kalen is a, Kalen, you're political science. What? Well, tell, give us give us the four one one on on what you think uh, <laughs> a, a ban on on cotton and tomatoes would look like. Uh, well, I'm something more of a uh, political theory as opposed to uh, 
political practice. <laughs> but um, I, I couldn't speak to what that on tomatoes and cotton would look like. But I, I think one of the, it's very fascinating to look at the reasons for why um, bans and embargoes like this are put into place. Um, I, I believe one of the, uh, uh, the big point is forced labor. Mm -hmm. um, something that we're seeing crop up more and more as we look into how the resources we take for granted come to our doorstep. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. There's a lot of, in situations like this, there's plenty that goes on beyond, behind the scenes, more than just necessarily forced labor. But I think that, especially as students, if you're studying the topic of political science, but if you pay attention to news at all, um, I think something I would encourage all people to look into is um, how these resources get to your door. Yeah. How forced labor does play a part in a lot of the things we take for granted and how that ends up affecting our economic standing on the national level. I mean, that's ultimately for um, people with more education on the topic than me to decide. But I think that's something that we all can look at and keep in mind as we buy products and purchase things from um, more ethical vendors, at least to the best of our ability. Definitely. So I'm going to get a little opinionated here. I, I know we could talk about China and um, everything that goes on there from the Muslim concentration camps, you know, that bunch of different conspiracy theories. I don't know if you'd call them conspiracy theories even, but um, I, I think this is a, a good first step for the U.S. to, you know, cotton might be a little hard hitting for some apparel industries for sure. But um, yeah, just getting getting out of that chokehold that China has us in, really. So I think it's a, it's a good first step. But um, I'd, I'd really like to see our medicine primarily come from the U.S. and not China. That's that's kind of my big deal with it. For sure. I, I, I definitely like emphasis on, on um, industry and, and production here in the U.S. Um, you know, we should be promoting businesses here, of course. Um, you know, continuing to make sure that we're, we're engaging in good trade is always important. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I, not, not to get, you know, too political, but I'm, I'm curious because uh, Mason, I've, I've, I've been following your Dakota student career for a while. So I've read some of your articles um, <laughs> throughout, throughout the, the last year or so. Um, um, and for those for those listening, Mason and I have known each other for what is it now? Three years, Mason. Yeah, three four um, years. So so we're 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 well acquainted with each other. Um, but so Mason, I'm I'm curious, you know, in in light of of everything happening here uh, in in national politics, do you think um, you know this uh, this uh, this ban on on cotton and tomato here? Uh, with China, do you think that at all has any impact on the upcoming election? And and now I'm not necessarily asking you to speak out in favor of one candidate or, or another, but you mm -hmm. know that's it's we're getting close to election time. So how do you think uh, how do you think international politics here is gonna is gonna kind of tap into that? I I definitely think a lot of people are gonna agree with trying to halt some import from China. I don't know how many because I don't 
that just depends on who really looks at the news a lot and who who's in favor of China. But um, you know, it's, it's going to sound bad, but a lot of Trump supporters are going to love it because that's just the type of people to love it. They're the uh, somewhat isolationists, you know. They just have that that nationalism, you know. So uh, I think for Trump supporters, they're definitely going to love the blocking of imports. Maybe not the companies that are for Trump, but on on Biden's side, I I don't really know. Trump's going to be pulling everything he can out to get a, an edge on him. So it's going to be really interesting to see. I don't I don't really know. That was a great question. Yeah, I I agree. I think, you know, I I follow the the elections pretty extensively. I I I have debate watch, you know, in an age not of of COVID. Um, I would have debate watch parties, election night watch parties. So while while I'm a, a, a mere history major, uh, I do really enjoy the political process. Um, mm. So I, I I look at you know things like this uh, in the news, and and I I always wonder, you know, what is the impact of that going to be in polling in certain states and whatnot? And, and I think you I think you hit it on the nose there too with um, with the the Trump aspect of it. You know, a, a move like that's definitely going to please the base. Um, I'm I'm a skeptic of of national poll numbers. Always, I look at individual state poll numbers. Oh, I feel um, like since 2016, you have to. They got yep, it. Yep, yep. And so all messed up. So you're you're right on the dot there. So I've been following, you know, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Florida. Um, you know, the, those swing states there, and it'll be interesting to see if. You know, as, as actions like this happen that, you know, appeal to one base, you know, does that rally voters in states? And, and with that, you know, while we're talking about voters being rallied uh, um, in an age of COVID, like uh, voting in general, uh, I mean, what do we all think here? Uh, are we thinking high turnout? Are we thinking medium turnout, low turnout? And, and, and with that, um, you know, how do you think how do we all think candidates are going to kind of encourage their bases to go out if they have to? For me, I, I don't know about you guys, but I've had mail-in ballot in my head for the past month or so. And that's just because I think I see it on every single platform I go on, you know, that, that term mail-in ballot. I see it on Snapchat. When I go on, I go, I see it on Instagram, all the social medias. So I think I don't, Trump is definitely not pushing for that base. He, you know, he's got this whole FedEx conspiracy theory or UPS, sorry, <laughs> USPS. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm a little tired. Um, so yeah, he's not going to be pushing for that. Trump's definitely not pushing for mail-in ballots. Biden, I can see him pushing for that. You know, that's as much as I'm not a fan. I prefer voting in person. I, I in this day and age, it's kind of, you know. Not, sure. Yep. Not too smart to push for that. So. For sure. Right. Yeah, it can I, be downright dangerous. Yeah. But on the other hand, um, I think the push for the mail-in ballots, um, personally, I think it's uh, justified and pretty significant. Um, it, it's quite a task uh, to hope that people will do their best and do their due diligence to get their mail-in ballot in the first place and send it in. Mm -hmm. um, speaking from experience, I know that that would have been extremely difficult for me to do. If I was even 
um, a couple of years back when I was a little less informed on voting, that would have been quite a task. It's difficult. People need to be reminded of things like that because it's not something that you're really going to do um, without some degree of passion or uh, significant interest in the election or voting. It is kind of going out of the way in a way that going and voting in person might not necessarily be. Mm-hmm. Some I, of the biggest, I think it's, oh yeah, continue, Matt. No, 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 I'm sorry, Caitlin, you go. I've, I've got a separate point. I was just going to say, one of the things that persuaded me to vote for my, um, for the last election, the 2016 election, I, again, hadn't even chosen political science as my major. I wasn't particularly that interested in politics at the time. And of course, I was a fresh voter. That would have been the first year I could vote. I'm only 21 right now. Um, 22 tomorrow. But Ooh, happier than yeah, birthday. Thank you. Um, but I know one of the things that persuaded me to vote in the first place was having some friends with me, some friends that we all wanted to go down to the voting booth and put in our say. It's obviously not much of a social event, but it's something you can go down and grab some people and sit in line for an hour as you chat it up, go through the process, and then head out, maybe go get Kaylin, food or something. Please, That's please not don't available. Tell me you had to sit. Kaylin, please don't tell me you had to sit in line for an hour to vote. You know, if I'm going to be completely honest, I don't actually recall what the process for voting in the 2016 election was for me. I have no memory of it. I know I did it. I'm 100% sure I did it, but I have no memory of actually being there. I do remember, however, um, uh, voting in the, getting the primary. That took a hot minute. I I was there for a while. I remember that line process. So that's where I'm getting that from. Um, Yeah, God forbid anyone has to sit in for a, (laughs) <laughs> full hour sure. but well, in any and, case and if you're waiting having friends hold on kaylin kaylin you finish you finish <laughs> your thought yeah what i was going to say was um <laughs> uh going to vote having friends with you that's all something that will encourage you to go do what is otherwise a relatively boring task that's not necessarily the case with a mail-in voting ballot it's something you have to go out of your way to get and go out of your way to send in and that's difficult it's yeah. hard but yet it's something that, in my opinion, should be being pushed for. No one wants to go out and risk coronavirus. No one wants to go out into a crowded voting booth and uh, cast their vote that way with what's currently going on. So yeah. I, I think I'm, I, I'm glad that the uh, call for the mail-in ballots has been hitting as hard as it has on social media and such. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you know with that too, making sure in this election, people know what methods they can vote, how to vote, how to request an absentee ballot, should they want one. I think that's going to be important. Um, Kaylin and I, in our, in our roles as student body president, vice president, um, you know, we're, we're nonpartisan individuals. I often say it when I get asked, you know, are you Republican or are you Democrat? I say, no, I'm a student. Um, (laughs) So one thing that we're going to be doing, um, you know, coming up is we're going to hopefully be getting out some information on, on, you know, if you're voting in North Dakota, what does that process look like? If you're requesting absentee ballots from other states, what do those processes look like? Um, We had a conversation the other day with some other individuals. One thing we'd really like to see is, you know, more interaction with the candidates running locally uh, here for uh, the North Dakota House and Senate. Um, Oh, yeah. uh, You know, they they run in uh, little three-person tickets. So, you know, I'd love to see, and, and we hope to reach out here soon, we'd love to see a, a forum hosted for those candidates, um, you know, tailored towards the students and, and what, what, you know, are their, 
ideas and goals for helping out students. Um, so hopefully we can get that ball rolling. We've still got to, we've still got to reach out. It's, it's a very early concept right now. Um, but so making sure students, you know, and individuals know, um, you know, who are the candidates, what are they voting for and how to vote, I think is going to be really important here coming up. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a great idea. So I apologize, but I'm going to stay political for a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I, I believe that the, the biggest thing that's going to make voters turn out is just that deep, gut-wrenching hatred for Trump. You know, just people hate Trump. People despise the man, and I think that will that'll bring out a lot of people. So I, you know, earlier this year, I'm, I thought, no way, no how Trump could lose, but I it wouldn't surprise me at this point. So... So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm not going to take a side, okay. but I, I'll, 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 I'll play both sides here. I, I agree with you on one side, you know, there's, there's a distaste for the president um, and, and that's going to drive out a lot of voters at the same time. I think on, on the right, uh, you've got a passionate Trump base that oh, yeah. is constantly there. Um, so I was out, I was out at Leech Lake this last weekend and, um, I could watch from the cabin, a Trump boat parade. Oh yeah. Probably some, there were probably some 200 boats. I've never seen that many boats clustered together before on a lake. Um, it was, it was honestly very interesting to watch. Um, and so Trump, there's that base for him. There are people that are, are, that are excited to vote for him. There are people that are excited to, to vote him out. Um, you know, that excitement is there on both sides. You know, what is it going to come to come down to? I think it'll come down to, you know, I think to Biden's efforts, I think his big push is going to be getting as many people to mail in votes. Um, I think the strategy that they kind of have in mind is if we get in as many mail in votes as we can, you know, we'll win. Mm -hmm. uh, in 2018, we kind of saw a similar effort in, in the state of Texas with the Ted Cruz, Beto O'Rourke Senate race. Um, Beto O'Rourke, you know, came the closest to any Democrat has ever come to, to winning the state of Texas. I, I, it was a, some two, per, two, three percent difference. Yeah, very um, close. And, and a lot of that came from Beto O'Rourke's uh, absentee ballot drive. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, there were some millions of votes already in probably. Uh, before the election day even occurred, and um, and it's it's the highest turnout a Democrat has ever seen in Texas. I think Joe Biden's going to kind of take that same strategy. You know, he's shooting for Arizona, Texas, Florida. He's looking at those states that are red, uh, that that have a that have a tint of purple. I think yeah. Trump is looking at states of you know how can he drive out his voter base. He's looking at Minnesota. Uh, I'm a Minnesota. I'm Minnesota born and raised. Um, that state. In 2016, was 1% between um, Clinton and Trump. You mm -hmm. know, he's looking at that. He's looking at Wisconsin, Michigan. You know, states that he that he penetrated the blue wall. Um, he's looking, how can I keep them? Um, and I think his strategy there is going to be, you know, get as many people out in person voting because we've seen we've seen some mixed messaging from the Trump campaign. We've seen, um, you know, in some states, there's been tweets from the president saying, oh, you know, mail-in voting is, is a sham. I believe it was North, North Carolina. He said that uh, voters should go vote in person and mail in a ballot just to be safe, which I'm pretty sure, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure that's illegal. 
Um, it sounds but, kind of illegal, man. I, I don't know the specifics, it, it, but it definitely doesn't sound good. It, it, it sounds a little bit like a red flag, but you also see it from the Trump campaign posts about um, vote about uh, in Florida. I saw one uh, voter saying, be sure to request your mail-in ballot. Um, so I think, I think the president, I think Trump is going to play on kind of both sides. And at, at the end of the day, it's going to come down to the excitement, um, which objectively speaking, I think, I think the Trump campaign, I think their base is a little more vocal. Um, so from a, from a sheer observation of just looking on Twitter, and that's not the best place to look, but just looking on Twitter, you know, the Trump campaign's energy is there. That's not to say Biden's campaign isn't there. I think they're very much there. I think I think it's going to be a very close election, um, and I'm I'm excited to watch the outcomes and 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 maybe maybe when it's all done, we can all meet again and 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 chat about the results and what we thought. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. So that leads me to my next question. You said you're excited for the outcome. Uh, I'm. Uh, Honestly, I'm kind of not. I feel like you were talking about people, you know, the Trump supporters are real Trump supporters, you know, and in my mind, they kind of have sort of this, I don't know, godlike image of him, king-like. So there's like two drastically different sides to this, and I'm kind of worried for the mm -hmm. aftermath of this election. Are, do you guys have the same feelings? I, I understand ex completely where you're coming from. Um, I think that as students, um, especially political science students, to anyone who would be listening from that field, it'll be extremely fascinating to see what becomes of such bases, of course, depending on what happens, whether Trump takes a victory or takes a loss, what exactly will happen to a base that has so significantly revered uh, the leader, Trump? Yeah. Um, I've, I'm young, but I've personally never seen such a degree of both reverence and distaste for a political figure like this yeah. within my lifetime. Definitely. And I remember controversy. I remember debate going around figures such as Obama or Romney during that election, but never to the degree that we've seen here. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's difficult now being caught up in the middle of all of it to make any sort of objective call. But I think in some years here, it'll be very fascinating to see how everything pans out. Of course, depending on the result of this election, but it'll be really interesting to see where that base turns. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it, it'll be really, one thing I've, I've said is, you know, as, as, a, as a history major, right? Um, and I should clarify, I'm, I'm, I'm social studies edu education, so I, I, I take a lot of history courses. Um, one thing that I kind of am always going to be curious about until I'm in a position to, to be there, how are the textbooks going to reflect, you know, 2016 through 2020? Um, and, I'm excited you know, to see. <laughs> See, and that's, and when I say I'm excited for the outcome, I'm, I'm more excited. That, that's kind of where my excitement is. Um, I, I'm not going to disclose on the podcast, you know, which way I'm, I'm going to lean. Oh yeah. Um, don't have to at but, all. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm a rather moderate voter. I will vote for whoever I think is going to do the best job. Yeah. Um, really. but, um, 
I think, I think from 2016 to now, I think uh, on both sides, people have become very vocal in, in political happenings. And I think regardless of the outcome, I think you'll see it if Trump wins again, you'll see it if Biden wins, there's going to be demonstrations from either side. There's going to be marches, there's going to be um, peaceful protests, and I, and I I'd hope they stay peaceful. Um, uh, we're going to see that on, on both sides. Um, and we're going to see it for the entirety of the next term of, of whoever becomes president. Um, and it's, it's been fun to watch people become more engaged people. I, I follow some people on Instagram who, who prior to 2016 probably never thought they'd be, you know, sharing Instagram stories once a week about, you know, petitions and, and political happenings, but now they're engaged in the process. And so, you know, that another reason I'm excited for this election is because it's engaged so many people. There's, there's a lot more conversations happening. You know, we've normalized conversations at like the dinner table, for example. Um, and, and I think, again, regardless of who wins, uh, you know, we as Americans are going to continue to be vocal. I think, I think we've found a voice as, as a, a society, um, and I think we're going to continue to use it. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry for keeping on this subject, but um, I feel like a lot of that vocalization definitely comes from our generation. You know, it's, I feel like a lot of the kids just really don't, don't care anymore. So they'll say what's ever on their mind. Well, I think there, I think it kind of goes both ways. Um, I think that there's definitely that degree of apathy in plenty of members of our generation. And I think that there's also um, a lot of people who are being much more vocal than they might have ever thought they would be kind of like Matt said, you see, if you go on social media, um, at least talking to my social media experience, um, I see Instagram posts, I see Instagram stories, Snapchat stories every day of people posting um, petitions and calls for action on um, different uh, initiatives. That's something I don't think I ever would have expected out of some members of my generation, at least not so soon. Are, um, are you really too surprised? With, sorry for interrupting, but uh, no, for to sure. other generations, I feel like our generation would definitely be the one to do it. Uh, I don't think I'd be surprised. I agree. Uh, the generation that we're in, the um, the peers that I've been raised with, uh, if there's one theme I've seen that contrasts them with some of our parents, it has been um, a degree of independent thought, more independent thought, I should say. Um, vocal, being vocal about things that people in past generations might not necessarily want to discuss. Mm -hmm. And politics is a natural extension of that, right? Yeah, um, definitely. You see a lot of Instagram, or well, you see a lot of social media posts, a lot of these initiatives focus on people's rights, um, helping people who are in need, who need that kind of support. And I'm not saying, of course, that other generations aren't capable of such uh, initiatives. But what I am saying is that um, I think that our generation in particular has been very vocal about things like these. And that's something I'm very proud of. Yeah. I, I love mm -hmm. to scroll through Instagram and see my peers posting things like this. It, it, it does give me hope for the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and we've seen, too, you know, in the age of social media, um, it's now more than ever easier to be engaged in, in the political process. 
um, whether that's simply just following a candidate and liking and retweeting their tweets to, as, as Kaylin has said, you know, sharing petitions on Instagram stories, you know, uh, posting advocacy, you know, memos, um, you know, it, it really is, it, it's probably the easiest now compared to past generations to get involved and to speak out. Um, you know, a lot of people have thousands of followers on Instagram and Twitter or, or, or TikTok. That's, that's becoming a big social media platform now. Oh boy. Um, yeah. And that's, that's opening a whole nother discussion here, I'm sure. But, um, you know, I think people kind of recognize that they have, uh, they have a platform, they have a way to spread a message and share a message. And, and I'll admit it, I've, I've done that too. I've got some, you know, 1000 some followers on Instagram. I've, I've had my fair share of, of political posts that I've, I've shared and my, my fair share of petitions that I've posted. Um, and I've engaged in conversation with people about it who want to know more, or even those who um, might see things differently than I, then I've been able to have a conversation and, and, you know, have both of us gain a better understanding on it. It's, it's, it's really a, the digital age has, has evolved the, what it means to be involved in, in the political process. Definitely. Absolutely. I think the, the digital age has made most people a moderate, you know, I feel like this election, people are trying to approach it moderate, you know, it's just, I think a lot of kids, I don't, shouldn't say kids anymore, we're young adults, but <clears throat> people our age, I just see this election between two old dudes that don't really know what's happening, haven't been with the, the mainstream for decades and they, they don't really know what people need. And I think that's how a lot of, a lot of college kids see it. I understand I, completely. I, oh yeah. Continue, Matt. I agree with that. But I, I think also too, I think people can recognize um, with age, um, you know, that, that there are still shared values. I look at the, Massachusetts Senate primary that just happened where uh, incumbent Democrat Senator Ed Markey uh, faced uh, Joe, Joe Kennedy III, who's uh, a descendant of the, of the Kennedy family tree. Um, and Joe Kennedy pitched himself as a young, you know, a younger, more representative of, of uh, you know, America. And he lost out to Ed Markey, who's, who's got 30 years of age on him. Um, so yeah, I, I see where, where voters definitely would be, uh, it's just, it's just too old, too old men, you know, here at the same time, there, there's shared values in that. Um, mm -hmm. so if you're, if you're a Biden supporter, just because he is, what is he? 74, um, 70, 76, somewhere in there, just because he's that old doesn't mean there's this ginormous gap in thought process. Um, and, and same on, on the Republican side, just because, um, Donald Trump is again, I think 74 or somewhere in there. Um, there isn't, there isn't necessarily the widest gap in, in thought process. Sure. There are definitely things that we see differently. Um, you know, from, from someone like us who I, I, I believe we're all 21 mm -hmm. on this call, um, compared yep. to the, the 70 year olds in Congress. Um, but there, there's still those, those shared opinions and shared beliefs. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, Sorry for staying on the political talk for a while, gang. I was just really interested in Matt and Caitlin's opinions on that. For sure. So thank for sure. you. Let's uh, turn it to COVID a little bit, you know, just a little talk. So I was looking at the, 
the UND numbers. I don't know if you guys ever checked that website where it shows all the yeah, quite often actually. Yeah. So it's down. I, I I checked it for a while and it, it was at three hundred the total number of self reported. It's down to ninety three. Uh that's a good sign yep. for me. How has uh, your guys' job changed from all this all this COVID stuff? Sure. Um well speaking speaking to myself and, and Kalen chime in too, uh I have probably daily meetings that are centered around COVID. Um, a lot of my, a lot of my time has been kind of put towards, you know, shaping policy here on campus and having conversations with the community about how can we um, have COVID conscious events? How can we continue to have this experience here in Grand Forks and at the University of North Dakota while respecting CDC guidelines? Um, so that's been, that's been very fun. Speaking to the cases, um, yeah, we, we, we've had that drop, which is awesome to see. Uh, we just had a mass testing event here yesterday on Tuesday, the 8th, um, and we had some 1,200 tests. About a little over 50% of those tests uh, were students, so that's awesome. It's great to see kind of this, the student initiative. Students want to know if, they're, if they've got it or not. I, I don't think anybody wants to be the one that you know, goes back to their dorm or goes back to their fraternity or sorority or their apartment complex and finds out that they just gave COVID to some of their friends. Um, I think, I think people have a good idea that, that, you know, testing often is important and following these guidelines on campus is important. Um, you know, we've had some conversations with, with some community leaders of how do we translate that into the community. So we're, you know, we're working on informational projects and peer-to-peer -peer education um, through videos and social media posts to to encourage various uh, various guidelines in the community too. So so that'll be exciting to look out at. Um, as for student government itself, uh, all of our meetings have been transitioned to Zoom. Uh, we now meet at 6:30 p.m. on Wednesdays on Zoom. The Zoom link is available on the student government uh, website. So, and that's open for people to, to watch and view and, and watch along. Tonight, we're actually talking about um, a, a bill that will put some funding towards some events in the community that, that follow CDC guidelines and, and are really cool. And um, one of which I'm really excited about is uh, the opportunity for a drive-in movie theater on the Greenway. So, and, and I think that will be super fun for students that one, enjoy the drive-in experience and two, want to see movies without having to go, you know, into a theater, they can stay in their car, they can stay by their car um, and enjoy it, you know, at a six feet social distance. I think that's, yeah. uh, sorry. Oh yeah. I was just going to continue off of uh, Matt's point. Matt, you summarized it perfectly. Um, the experience thus far as student leaders has been one of many meetings, um, online meetings and uh, doing our best to represent student interests in a time where it's remarkably difficult to gauge student interests beyond um, what Matt and I know and experience. Um, I think that the entire epidemic has, personally to me, um, kind of uh, harmed what I would consider my favorite part about being a student leader, and that is face-to-face -face interactions with students. 
Um, that's one of the toughest parts of this epidemic for me, without a doubt. Um, having all of the meetings go online mean you're kind of focusing on getting these meetings done, sitting in your room, um, doing your best to stick to the, um, the facts of the meeting, just getting it done, not interacting with people, not chatting with them, not meeting people on the street, asking what their interests are. And I think that to some degree, that's really tough for not just me and Matt, but the rest of our senators when it comes to um, canvassing student interests, finding things that students want to do. It's made the disconnect wider. And so it's made our jobs more difficult, far from impossible. And we've certainly been doing our best to reach out to as many students as possible and ask them how their experience has been and what their time at UND has been like so far, what we can do for them. But um, I think that's one of the most difficult parts of the job to answer the uh, question itself. Um, but like Matt said, with uh, initiatives like the um, uh, drive-in theater that we're supporting here, I think we can definitely find fun things for students to do with their time and still get that representation in. Yeah, I, I one think, way... Oh, sorry for interrupting. One way, one way that we're trying to kind of bridge this no, you're good. You're good. Uh, one way we're trying to bridge this digital divide with students and, you know, still being sure that we're engaging with them, you know, we're utilizing social media a lot more, um, you know, through Qualtrics surveys, through informative posts and, and, and videos, um, you know, trying to find ways to engage students. We use the Facebook class pages a lot. Um, we like to, you know, send out little messages in there to kind of gauge ideas and gauge where students are at. So, you know, having so many lines of communication is very important. And we've got some good data and feedback from that, which is always nice. For sure. Yeah, that was going to be my comment. I, I noticed you guys are very active on basically every social media platform, if I'm not mistaken, you know, from LinkedIn to Instagram. And I, I think you guys have been doing a fantastic job that way, you know, especially with making uh, connections to faculty. I think you guys are really excelling at that. President Armacost, uh, he kind of makes that easy, though. You know, he's a really outgoing guy. He likes being involved. So absolutely. That's, that's great. Yeah, we, we love it's been a pleasure to work with. Yeah, definitely. Even our student leadership meetings, you know, you guys do well in those. Always trying to, you know, have input and talk with the, the faculty members. So I, I just think you guys are doing wonderful. Much appreciated, Mason. Yeah. Um, and I, I really like those, the cabinet of student leader, uh, student leaders meetings that, that, um, Myself, Kaylin, and, and Mason, we all sit on. Um, that's been a, a good way to, for Kaylin and I in our roles, um, you know, we've got a, a, a wide range of student leadership there from corners of campus that if it weren't for that group, I don't know if we'd always, we'd always get to hear from, but because of it, um, you know, we have a direct line of communication right then and there. Um, so that's, that's super cool and super fun to, to hear the questions, comments, and concerns from 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 everyone here on campus and from all corners of the student body. And I don't know if you guys have noticed, but uh, none of my classes are requiring Proctor U. So I we might have made a difference. So <laughs> there you go, there you go. I'm glad I'm glad your 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 initiative paid off. Yeah, I'm very excited to see it. Yeah, man, it's uh it's wonderful not using Proctor U. I don't know what it was, just that that system. It just added a whole lot of stress when stress didn't need to be there. And, and really, that's a good example of an initiative that students brought to us. Students 
reached out to us and expressed their concerns. They didn't necessarily know how it might be fixed, but they recognized that that system just wasn't working for them in one way or another. And that's something I love to see with student government is students bringing initiatives to us and then us figuring out ways how we can make that better, how we can help students and how we can um, uh, fix the experiences that they might consider bad. Uh, in addition to funding nice things like the drive-in movie theaters, I think that solving problems is definitely my favorite part of student government. And to anyone who would be listening to the podcast, we are always open. We are always welcoming students to send in their concerns or reach out to Matt and I. Our schedules aren't ultimately that busy. We're always welcome to uh, chat with students about what they have problems with. Well, I, I think that's, uh, that's time for today. Thank you guys for coming on. It was awesome talking with you. Lots of great ideas. Lots of great Thank conversation. Yeah. Love Thanks to do it again sometime. Us. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm going to, I kind of like this having different guests on, you know, we get to share our opinions and, mm -hmm. you know, so uh, yeah. Thanks again for coming on. Check out Matt and Kaylin's social medias for updates and everything related <laughs> to student government. You guys won't, you guys won't want to miss out on that. All right. Thanks again for tuning in to the Coast Student Podcast. Have a great day, everyone. <laughs>